John Kane and I welcome you to Let's Talk Native on this Saturday, August 31st. While this program may not provide a path to spiritual enlightenment, we do encourage and in some cases start conversations. We don't do prayers and we don't do buffalo speeches. We take a tough look at history, oppression, and survival. We talk about culture, the arts, politics, and identity. And we may step on a few toes along the way. But our real goal here is to bring people together by breaking down what separates us. We will take on the false narratives and provide critical thinking to all that is heaped upon us. And we do it all right here from the Cattaraugus Territory of the Seneca Nation. So, let's talk native. But let me remind people that you can listen to our show uh, live streaming on our website, which is www.letstalknative.com. We stream video of the show on our Facebook Live group pages, or our Facebook pages via Facebook Live. Uh, my wife shares it to a bunch of other pages, so we're easy to find on Facebook. Uh, we take the audio and we put it up on SoundCloud, which puts it up uh, as a podcast on all your favorite podcast platforms, so you can subscribe to our podcast. We take the video and we put it up on our YouTube channel, which is Let's Talk Native TV. There you'll find not only this show, but the show, shows that I do in New York, uh, and short-form videos uh, that cover a range of topics. And in fact, some of what we're going to talk about today uh, is uh, the subject of videos that I've done in the past and, and a new one that we're going to get out there shortly. So... Uh, that's the way you can you can enjoy the show live or after the fact. Uh, I am John Kane. I am the uh, the show's host and producer, and I am joined in studio by Jake Proud, who is managing our video and our sound. All right, let's get into it here. Uh, it's back to school time. I know some schools. Uh, I've got a grand a grandson and granddaughter who live in Pennsylvania. They already went back to school, but. Uh, coming off of this Labor Day weekend, uh, all all the rest of the kids will be going back to school. And I just have to remind people that now some of that task turns to us. We've got to we've got to make sure what our kids are being taught in school is accurate. And and look, I understand we can get into a whole debate on you know their truth, our truth, whatever. It's still on us to tell our story, to tell our version of history, and and not let somebody else uh, create our history for us. And their history crosses with our history, so. I mean, when you consider the holidays that they celebrate and the kids get off from school, and, and look, that's how kids measure their school year, by when the next holiday is. Then, the, And the first holiday is Columbus Day. And I know many places are calling it Indigenous Peoples Day. But whether we call it Indi- Indigenous Peoples Day or Columbus Day, the fact of the matter is that there should, there's a lesson, there's a teachable moment there. And that's the, that teachable moment gives us the opportunity to tell some truths that have not been taught, not for generations. People have been listening to you know to all these BS stories about what a hero and what a uh, what a brave you know explorer Columbus was. He wasn't a brave explorer; he was a merchant. So, right out of the right out of the gate, the first holiday that comes in in uh, October, a month in, into school, uh, there you know our little kids have been been you know, been indoctrinated with this 1492 Columbus sailed the ocean blue, and and our older kids have been been fed more of this this bs so it's on us i mean it's on us as parents as grandparents as uh as native elders but but anybody who has taken the time to do some of this research and it's not just about columbus day it's not just about uh veterans day and or or for that matter labor day that we're that is being celebrated this weekend but you know, there's Thanksgiving. There, there's the Christian holidays. There's all of these holidays that 
most of most of which romanticize war, military, U.S. military, and we never really explain our relationship with the U.S. military. Now, yeah, well, we'll sweep it all under the rug and say, "Oh, yeah, we we enlisted a higher raid, and we've got code talkers, and we got this stuff." Look, we've had massacres uh, that the the U.S. military perpetrated against our people, all kinds of atrocities. So, we, yeah, we can start with Columbus, but we can bring it up. We can bring it up to a few years ago at Standing Rock. We can we can bring it up to what's happening with missing and murdered Indigenous women, Indigenous men, Indigenous girls, Indigenous boys. We can we can talk about all of this stuff, especially as our kids are being taught a counter narrative in school. You know they're being they're being taught what they they consider the established history, but we have the opportunity. And you know and, and it's not just history and and social studies. It's literature. It's when our kids take a class where they have to speak or or write a term paper. You know I, I Ed always uh, cracked me up when when he he talked about doing his his term papers. And they would give him a list of two or three, uh, two or three topics that he had to do his term paper on, Shakespeare or you know whatever. And he'd say, "No, I'm I'm going to do mine on this." <laughs> I mean, the, the idea of doing a term paper is just the, the idea that you can do research and that you can communicate your ideas. And we should push these issues, you know. And and of course, it comes all right right back to the end of the school year. I mean, we're still having fights over whether not just whether a kid can wear regalia. But whether they can just put a, a an eagle feather in their cap, so we can't expect our kids to take on these battles if we're not educating them. Yeah, I know our kids are in public schools, but there's no excuse for us not to supplement or supplement what they're learning or being taught, or correct what they're being uh, taught. And I think that I think it is it's on us to do that. They're not going to do that. They're not going to take it upon themselves. I mean. I remember listening to some of the professors from uh, uh, from UB who who were involved in the Native American uh, program. They said, you know, years ago, when they decided uh, the New York State Board of Regents was going to delve into making sure that they did more to teach black history and teach about the Holocaust and to teach about various things, immigration or whatever else. When they talked about black history, they 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 brought in black scholars. When they talked about the Holocaust and, uh, and, and some of that, that history associated with, you know, again, with, with, with the, uh, the genocide in, in Europe. They brought in, they brought in Jewish scholars. They brought in people to talk about um, uh, migrant workers, you know, who, who were among, you know, the, the, uh, those Latin Amer- Americans that are, were so exploited. But when it came to Native issues, they didn't go find a Native scholar. They still took it upon themselves to, to characterize that history and write it up. We rarely have input in telling our own story. In home, at our homes, we do. At our homes, we have every opportunity to tell our own stories and to teach our kids our version of history, our truth. And so it's on us to do that. So as we go into next week and realizing that our kids are going to go into school, and I'm not saying we've got to send them to school with a chip on their shoulder, but we should take the time to find out, what did you learn in school today? You know, and, and if... If part of their lesson plan as a as a kindergartner is to learn how to recite the Star Spangled Banner, you know, maybe it's time to get them to recite the Ohonto Gurriwa Dekwa instead, or Gunungyo. I mean, these we should make different cho- help our kids make different choices, or let our kids know that they have choices, that they don't have to swallow what is being spoon fed to them 
in the in the schools. And it's not about being, you know, I, I get being difficult or, or causing conflict. I mean, we can't talk about instilling pride in who we are if we're if we're not going to give our kids something to be proud of. There is some tremendous history, and look, it's not our history is taught different. Our history is taught in stories. They're not. It's not taught in recitations about you know a specific individual and a specific date and and that kind of stuff. We can talk about our systems of uh, of governance. Our you know uh, again the the role that the fire, you know what we describe as fire plays in in terms of fire representing not only our family but representing our um our, our right to counsel our right to assemble and, and, and so all of that so th- this idea that we can we can teach using some of these forces of nature and the elements of nature to reinforce our storytelling i mean it, the the, pro- the reason why most kids hate history they 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 hate being told they got to remember a specific you know person's name a specific date. If you, I mean, if you want to talk talk to them about about an issue, you can teach that teach that issue without trying to make somebody just you know pound into their brains or, uh, to memorize dates. I mean, does it really matter whether something took place in in four, 1941 or 1942? I mean, the, especially the farther you get away from those dates. I mean, so when you when you're teaching kids about the American Revolution, are you willing to teach kids? I mean, our kids are going to learn this every year. There's a certain age group, and oftentimes multiple age groups are learning the same lies. Oh yeah, the American Revolution was fought because of uh, taxation without representation. You know what? Bullshit. It's it's simply not true. That's not why they fought. You had a bunch of white American uh, uh, colonial aristocrats who wanted to make more money, and one of the ways they made they they knew that their 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 wealth was dependent on slavery. And it was dependent on taking more native lands. That's the reason the Revolutionary War was fought. Just like the reason the Civil War was fought was over slavery. Everybody wants to soft pedal it and massage these issues and, and tell a different story, but nobody wants to tell the truth. So it's on us to tell it. And so, and if our kids give an answer like that on a test and it's marked wrong, you know what? That's our job to go into that school and raise hell. Say, no. Wh- who taught you your history? And then that's what, the reason we got to call some of the stuff out. So yeah, it's back to school time. But that means we have to go back to school. We have to go back and school our kids and, and explain to them some of the truth. And look, it isn't just old history. I mean, we're in a constant state of, you know, some sort of struggle or conflict with the state of New York, oftentimes the federal government as well. Not only over, over policies, but over our right to, to earn a living on our own territories. So I just went to a meeting today up in Niagara Falls uh, talking about Eric White's case uh, where, the, where the state is trying to fine him $600 a carton for having a truck seized that was hauling a native brand of tobacco from one native territory to another native territory. $600 a carton. I mean, that's that's absurd. But we're not teaching this stuff. I remember years ago when my, my son was in school, one of his uh, his classmates, uh, uh, Ross John Jr., Ross John Jr., he, um, he did a paper where he talked about when the throughway got shut down. He was only a little kid at the time when the throughway got shut down and how all the traffic rerouted and, and how busy and bustling places like Gowanda and Silver Creek were. 
I mean, he didn't even know what the issue was over, but he saw the impact of the conflict that we're having. And, and not necessarily the negative impact, because frankly, local businesses did very well when uh, when the thruway got shut down. So when I talk about things like the thruway going to crap and, and uh, Andrew Cuomo not wanting to fix it because he thinks he's going to strong arm us, our attitude is let, let it shut down. Let, let the traffic come our way. But you see, we're not teaching this stuff. When, when, even if our kids are learning a business class, we aren't learning about the uh, the distinction between native commerce and non-native commerce. We won't even go back to the history books and teach the real language of the of the U.S. Constitution, where it says that Congress shall have the power to regulate commerce in and among several states with foreign nations and with Indians. With, not of. Not, not our commerce, but the commerce that their people come to our territories and, and, uh, uh, and, and engage in commerce with us. Instead, it gets twisted around like they have, and, and, and in fact, Supreme Courts have taken that commerce clause and says, oh, see, that's proof that the, uh, the founding fathers of, the, uh, you know, of, of this great nation intended for Congress to have plenary, which means absolute power over Native people. How the hell do you come up with that, that conclusion? And you guys are supposed to be the finest legal minds? You, you want to talk about uh, legislating from the bench? That's not, you know, they, you hear you know, the Republicans, oh, yeah, you know, all the Democrats, they want to put judges on who want to legislate from the bench. There have been rulings and there have been uh, legal, has been legal dicta that, that has come out of the Supreme Court that has no legal, ethical, or moral foundation. You know, the idea of codifying into law the doctrine of Christian discovery. But when you, when you hear people talk about this, this notion of the plenary powers doctrine, the, uh, you know, that Congress has plenary powers, one of the Supreme Court justices said, no, I can't find it any place. <laughs> ironically, or perhaps ironically, it's the, it's the only black justice. And I'm not a big fan of Clarence Thomas. But Clarence Thomas says, I don't see any place in the Constitution that suggests the founding fathers intended Congress to have absolute power over Native people to regulate the meets and bounds of tribal sovereignty. He said, I don't see it. And, 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 he, and he cites the erroneous way that, that people have deduced, whether it's the Treaty Clause or whether it's the Commerce Clause. I, honestly, we're mentioned three times in the Constitution. Again, this isn't being taught in school. So this is why we got to teach it. One of them was the Treaty Clause, which doesn't even exist anymore because they apparently they, they thought they had us beaten down enough that there was, there was no need to have a, a law on the books that it allowed the president to, to engage in informal treaty making with Native people. So they've eliminated the Treaty Clause. So, so there's two places left, right? The Commerce Clause and, and what they call the Apportionment Clause. The Apportionment Clause is where they, de, uh, they determine how each state is going to be how many congressmen, how many representatives to uh, to the House um, will come from each state. And they said, well, this is how, this is how you count. We're going to portion it as a, as a uh, proportion of uh, population. Three-fifths of all slaves. Not So they're going to count three-fifths of slaves, even though the slaves have no rights. Bizarre. Um, and, and, they, and they talked about other indentured servants, and, and they said, excluding Indians not taxed. And of course... None of us were taxed at, at that point. I mean, I'm not saying, as a people, we weren't taxed. I'm not saying Native people didn't pay some taxes, but we weren't taxed as a people. So we weren't even a part of the Constitution at the beginning. And what nobody will explain, and they certainly can't teach this in school because it doesn't exist, is at what point we became part of their we the people. 
because there's no place in in, in history that that occurs. So again, it's on us. We, we are the ones who have to be responsible for teaching this stuff. You know, look, I know you know different uh, territories, including Seneca Nation, has an education department. But you know, the education department doesn't actually educate. It's a department that that supports education. I mean, they provide some some tutors, but you know what? Most of those tutors are are, uh, are white. We don't have native educators who are educated themselves in our own history. This is one of the things Ed Schindler always talked about. We don't have, we don't put our own experts, our own knowledgeable educators teaching about our ways, our culture, ceremonies, festivals, um, you know, how we counsel, how we govern. We don't, te- we don't teach that. Oh, they do a couple of Iroquois studies uh, uh, courses in, uh, in, in these schools, especially the local schools. But, you know, when they, when they teach Iroquois studies, what they're teaching about is, well, this is the way it was, you know, 200 years ago. Like, we can't talk about who we are now. Even when we have Native people involved in these studies, we, we teach as if we're going to tell the way it was, not the way it is. And, and so by doing so, we're saying that we're not those people anymore. I mean, we won't even tackle the tough issues. The tough issues like, you know, how did the Seneca Nation, for instance, go uh, adopt a constitution in 1848? Why? What was wrong with the, with the other system? How, was it corrupted? Well, let's talk about it. How did the separation take place between Tonawanda and, and, uh, and the rest of Seneca Nation? I mean, uh, what happened? What, was the, what took place during the removal period as far as the Haudenosaunee, Seneca's in particular? Did, uh, some, there are some Senecas that went, went to Kansas. They call them the Seneca Cayugas because it was, uh, it was a group of Senecas and Cuyugas. I don't know how many, but they don't teach that. In fact, that is a quote-unquote federally recognized tribe. But there's no unity there. It's not, it's not like there's, you know, uh, I mean, even politically between the politics of Tonawanda and the politics of Seneca Nation, there's, I mean, the people are fine. I mean, uh, you know, so I've got very close friends out in Tonawanda. I mean, people are all fine, but from a governing standpoint, standpoint, it gets there's animosity there. You know who's legit, who's not legit, who's Haudenosaunee, who's not Haudenosaunee, who's following, um, you know, uh, proper governing rules, and who's not. I mean, it's. Uh, but why do these conflicts exist? Because we're not educating. We're not educating ourselves, and we sure as hell aren't educating our kids. So it is back to school time. It is time for our kids to, again, have their minds shaped by the government because these are government-run schools. This is, the, you know, this, these are public schools. And in fact, there's no question that public schools were, I mean, their purpose was indoctrination. They're, you know, they're supposed to teach national pride. I mean, that's why they, you know, the, the first thing they try to get a kid to do is pledge allegiance to the flag and and sing the Star Spangled Banner. There's no reason to sing that song every time uh, there's a, there's a uh, we, we engage in, a, in some sort of sporting event. It doesn't make any sense. And yet we, we just kind of go along with it. In fact, we'll even get some of our great native singers to go, to go belt out the song for them. So, again, we should have... <laughs> I don't want to... I don't want to take the words of Mark Charles, but we need to have a national dialogue. No, we need, we need to talk about this stuff. And, and it doesn't matter. We don't have to wait until somebody provides a platform for us to have these conversations. We can have this. I have the conversation right here on the radio all the time. 
We can have it in our homes. We can have it, you know, sitting around a fire. You know, whether you know whether we're just assembling, at, just socially. I mean this this is what this is what we did historically, and we're not doing enough now, and and we really need to. We need to have these kinds of conversations, and it's not just about sitting around so we can all see who can preach to the choir the best. We should delve into some of these difficult questions and what we should do about them. Look, we, I, you know, we talk all the time about certain things, like how are we going to deal with climate change as a, as a hurricane bearing down on the, uh, on the, the, the southeast uh, Atlantic shore? How are we going to deal with climate change? How are we going to deal with economic crisis? I mean, look, none of us are invested in the stock market. So, so those stock market numbers mean nothing to us. But you know when that thing does finally crash? They're going to take a whole lot down with it. All of a sudden, that ATM card. I don't care if you got it from the Seneca Nation Credit Union. I don't know if they even have those, but I assume they do. I don't care where your ATM card comes from. It's entirely possible that uh, one day you're going to go to, you know, go to that ATM and you're not going to pull anything out of, the, out of there. All of a sudden, you can't order on Amazon anymore. So what do we do? You know, we, we talked about some of the things that we need to, to do in our communities to, to localize our economies. But you know what? That's not going to get taught in school either. I mean, just basic survival skills. And, and when I say survival skills, I'm not talking about making a fire with sticks. Yeah, we should learn, know how to do that too. But one of the most important survival skills is what Ed, Ed Schiller talks about. Communication. You can't survive if you don't communicate. Look, for many, many years, in the wake of, of so much, so many atrocities that were committed against Native people, we managed to isolate ourselves, or, or, or we were isolated, you know, isolation was imposed upon us. So we either run off to these remote territories and said, okay, that's your reservation now. Or we were fraught, defrauded out of so much territory, we were, we were resigned to small portions of our original lands but in in the process we there were decades if not you know close to a, you know a century or so that we were pretty much isolated we lived separate and not you know i'm not getting into the separate but equal thing but we just lived separate lives you know and there you know they they pressed the issue of our kids going to their schools and of course they, they had the residential schools which meant that our kids were still separate and they were they weren't being taught even in the same way that the non-native kids were being taught but they sure as hell weren't being taught uh the skills they needed to know as native people in fact that was being stripped away but there was always this this isolation and it, it, generations i mean there were i i you can still find many people that when you talk to us now nah, when i was a kid we never went into Gwanda. we never went into dunkirk we never went into buffalo i mean it, it, there was a sense that no that those were places those places weren't for us now we've got generations of men who um, got into iron working, um, working on big steel jobs in in the cities, in New York City, Philadelphia, Detroit. You know, obviously closer by Buffalo. But even as our even as our men went into these cities to work, they were isolated. They formed pockets. I mean, I, I where I broadcast in uh, in New York is uh, um, just off of, off of Atlantic Avenue in, in Brooklyn. It's not far from the area they used to call Little Gunawaga or Little Cognawaga. Because there was a there was there was 
a community of of Mohawks that that stayed together. Again, even in a city the size of New York, in, in complete isolation from the rest of the the other people socially. Now that isolation, uh, we could look at it a couple of different ways. But one of the things that it allowed us to do was to maintain a certain level of distinction. And that distinction, maintaining that distinction, is what we're is is what the that's what the big challenge is right now. I mean, even as you know, again, I, I mentioned going to this meeting. Uh, over Eric White's uh, case uh, being fined, you know, he's being fined you know, like $1.3 million for, you know, for 140 cases of cigarettes. I mean, that's, that's the fine. I mean, that he's being, that's being imposed upon him. And what is the basis of that fine? It isn't based on necessarily us being singled out um, and treated. It's funny. Racism can go, can go a couple of different ways. When we race them, we can say, "Oh yes, we're being uh, we're being discriminated against." Well, at some point, our position isn't that we're being de- being treated different than white people. It's that er, er, and complaining about it. The, f- the fact is that we're not white people. We do maintain distinction. The state laws shouldn't apply to us as we're staying within our own pockets of population, native to native trade, conducting commerce with with, with native products. We need. We're still fighting for that distinction. I, you know, I, I granted there are some people saying, "Yo, don't treat me like I'm this. Don't treat me like I'm that. I don't want to be treated like any other American." That's not what we're arguing. We're not asking to be treated like Americans. We want the basic understanding and acknowledgement that we aren't the same as you. We're not saying we're better. We're not saying we're worse. But we do have some things that we've maintained that we've never given up. And again. We don't teach our kids this stuff in school. All right, we're, we're at the bottom of the hour, so uh, we'll take a break, and when we come back, I'm going to go a little bit farther on this. I think this is an important issue, and maybe I'll even break down. Look, it's uh, it's Labor Day weekend. Let me talk about the failure of labor. We'll do that when we come back. All right, this is John Kane, and this is the Let's Talk Native. We'll be right back in a few minutes. Mm-hmm. 
right, thanks for coming back. I'm John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. And uh, let me begin by uh, the second half of the show by thanking our sponsors. I want to thank um, uh, Ross and Holly John and the RJE family of businesses. I want to thank Eric White in ERW Enterprises. I mentioned uh, uh, I went to a meeting uh, involving Eric and his, his company be, uh, being engaged in a, you know, over a million dollar battle with the state. And this is just one individual who's, who's facing this. And, uh, and, and you know his his support of this show is because I'm one of the places that we can have these conversations. And of course, I do have a couple of other sponsors. One in particular that uh, kind of remains an, uh, anonymous, but um, I've got three major um, ongoing sponsors and a few people who make a contribution from time to time. And I appreciate those too. I also appreciate all those folks who have helped us in the past. We we are in our tenth year now. This is our tenth year of Let's Talk Native, and we wouldn't be here if we didn't have many of the businesses. You know, some I even saw a few of them today, but many of the businesses in Cattaraugus, Allegheny, Tonawanda, not so much in Tuscarora, but a little bit, that have supported my program, especially when I was on commercial radio. We wouldn't be into our 10th year today if I didn't have a number of people who supported us, at least in the past. I wish some of you would come back so we could do do some more. But uh, uh, I do appreciate the sponsor that I get, and I do appreciate those of you who share the program. As I said, we uh, our, our shows do become a podcast, so you can share a podcast. You can subscribe to our podcast, and you can share that subscription. You can subscribe to our uh, our YouTube channel, Let's Talk Native TV, and you can share those videos. And, of course, if you're on Facebook, since we stream the show on Facebook Live, that's the easiest place to th- share the show, even as we're doing it. And then after the fact. I mean, uh, when I when I go back and back through and I check the views, and we, look, I am not a viral sensation by any means, and, and nor am I trying to be. I have a target audience that I'm looking for. I'm looking for Native people who want to learn. And for Native people who, who want to teach, because the first step in, in, in teaching is, is knowing what you're talking about. So if I can get a 1,000 Native people to, to listen to a program, even if it's only a piece of it, then, that's, then those are people who can, who can carry on a message, even if they don't agree with me. Because that's the other thing that I, I can't stress enough. I realize that some of the things that I say may be you know, against conventional wisdom. Uh, because frankly, conventional wisdom isn't that wise sometimes. So I, I take a position that you may not have heard before and you don't have to agree with it, but just know that there's a logic to the position that I take, even if you don't agree with that logic, because these are, these are the reasons and these are the ways that we can have these conversations. So uh, again, I want to thank, uh, thank all of you, especially, especially my wife who shares the show on, you know, anywhere from 20 to 30 uh, Facebook group pages. And it's one of the ways that, that we share this show on many of the other native group pages where people are engaged in different elements of the same battle that we're engaged with here. So we're not just sharing it to other um, Haudenosaunee or Six Nations uh, uh, peoples. We're sharing it, you know, to indigenous people all over over the globe. So, all right. Again, the the theme of the show is is for us to pick up on our responsibility in terms of uh, being teachers, even as our kids go back to school. And part of it, look, when we when I say we need to correct the historical record, sometimes we're going to have to tell our our kids that they, you know, there's a whole there's a book called Lies My Teacher Told Me. <laughs> the reason that book exists is because, look, I'm not saying the teachers go uh, intend to lie, but they're being fed what is the curriculum, what what is what they're supposed to teach, and unfortunately, some of what they're supposed to teach are lies. So we have to correct it, and. And as long as we are smart in how we teach our kids the the truth 
and the corrections that we're, we're talking about here, then, you know, in school, they're going to be graded on their ability to, to rationalize. And, you know, back in the day, if you defied, def, defied convention, you could get a zero. Now, if you can make a compelling argument, even if your teacher doesn't agree with you, what they've got to be grading you on is your research, you know, your, your thoughtfulness, uh, your, uh, obviously your grammar, spelling, that kind of stuff. Got a, got a clue. If you use a lot of native words, they can't ever tell you you spelled them wrong because they don't know. So <laughs> just between you and me. <clears throat> but no, we do, we, we have an obligation to make sure that, that our kids are not being indoctrinated or at least limited and, and encourage our kids to think critically when they're being spoon fed some of this stuff. And, and it's the same thing I say to my listening audience here. Don't take what I say for, you know, for fact or gospel, as they say. Question what I say. You know, do your own research. If I, if I throw out some facts or figures or, um, or some historical truths that you think, well, that doesn't sound right. Well, check it out. I've got a good friend of mine who, when she first started listening to the show, she, she'd get pissed every time she listened to my show. She, How dare I talk badly about Thomas Jefferson? That's her hero. Then she finds out that Thomas Jefferson not only was a slaveholder, but he was a pretty tyrannical slaveholder and had sex with his slaves. And we're talking, you know, talking about uh, residential schools. When I say, oh, these things existed until the 1970s, she says, that, that's impossible. There's no way that residential schools could have survived the civil rights movement. <laughs> yeah, they could, and they did. Why? Because we weren't in that battle. Look, I'm not saying AIM didn't exist. I'm not saying that uh, that we weren't you know, fighting our sovereignty fight, not our civil rights fight, but our sovereignty fight. But um, no, the civil rights, you know, certainly wasn't about native issues. So again, it, that, I think that's why it's important. Look, one of the, and one of the ways that we need to teach, and I'm not just talking about teaching native, a native perspective. Some of it is just about teaching critical thinking. So, and, and one of the, the ways to, to approach this thing is just look at the, look at the days that our kids are going to be off from school. Look at the, the national holidays that the United States celebrates. And let's take a little bit of time and, and teach some truths about that. You know, one of the, uh, uh, well, two of the holidays that don't get a lot of attention in school um, are the 4th of July, because the kids are out of school, and Labor Day, because you, most kids start school after Labor Day. So we don't even get a chance to teach some truths about that. Yeah, I mean, the kids learn about the Revolutionary War. Breaking down even something like the Declaration of Independence, I, you know, I've done a couple of shows on that. And you can look for some of those shows uh, on again on our uh, YouTube channel and that kind of thing. But I mean, it's the, some of the truths and and some of the native perspective. I mean, again, keep in mind that the words "merciless Indian savage" are is the way that we were described in the uh, in the Declaration of Independence. So you know that whole "all men are created equal," <laughs> endowed by the Creator with certain in inalienable rights uh, uh, like you know life liberty and the pursuit of happiness yeah they, they they were including the merciless indian savages in that so i mean these are some of the truths that we need we need to teach now the other one again is labor day now labor day is supposed to be a celebration and that's what you know supposed to be celebrated this weekend so be a celebration of all the accomplishments of the labor movement not just the people who work i mean this isn't just about celebrating people who work but celebrating the, the labor movement and, and and i gotta tell you while i think it warranted celebration at one time 
the labor movement is a dismal failure right now. There's been never been a time, well, at least in modern history, <laughs> certainly since the advent of Labor Day and the labor movement, there's never been a time that there's been greater uh, income inequality than right now. I mean, the, the haves and the have-nots, I mean, the, the, the gap between the richest and the poorest has never been bigger. And the 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 growth of the um, number of people living in poverty and lo- living farther and farther from that uh, from those affluent uh, incomes is, is growing. I mean, look, I know people can get up there and brag about um, the unemployment rate going down. Most of that stuff is BS. And, and it doesn't really matter if the unemployment... In fact, <laughs> I guess it doesn't matter. If, if the unemployment level is at its lowest, historical lowest, and yet there's a bigger income gap, that's that's problematic. That means that the poverty isn't even associated with not working. The but poverty is associated with working. Look, we were taught when I was in school. We were taught to you know recognize the role that unions played in shaping the forty-hour work week, overtime pay, you know, um, extreme overtime, a time and a half, and 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 you know. Uh, uh, double pay for you know for so many hours over uh, you know uh, of overtime. I mean that's what we were taught. We were taught you know it, were it not for the the labor movement there wouldn't be the five hour the, the five day work week. There, people would be working you know not just eight hour shifts but they'd be working you know ten hour shifts seven days a week. And not to say some some places still don't do that, but but the standard changed. It, 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 there was a time when I was a kid growing up that just a a man um, could work. His wife uh, and the mother of the children could stay home, and a man could support a family of five, three kids, himself and a wife, maybe even a dog and a cat. That I mean, that was, and they could do that with a forty-hour work week. That doesn't exist anymore. There's almost no, look. If you only work forty hours a week, and you're a single-income uh, a family, you're living below the poverty line. You know, and unless I mean, look, there are some extreme situations where where somebody who who was working just a forty hour work week, a, um, a wage earner, is um, perhaps making it. But you could, I dare somebody to come up with somebody who was just working a forty hour work week and supporting their family. Not at, I'm not saying to survive. I mean to live well on a 40-hour work week. It just doesn't exist. Now you got mom and dad both working full-time jobs. And when I say working full-time jobs, oftentimes those full-time jobs don't just have them out of the house for 40 hours a week. It has them out of the house for 60 hours a week. And if they have to drive a distance in separate directions because they have to have two cars now, you got two car payments, and mom and dad got to go in separate directions. So they may be spending 60, 70, maybe even 80 hours a week out of the home. And of course, now they got to pay for not only... This this income isn't just making their lives better because now they got to also pay not only the two car payments they, they got to pay for both got to wear professional clothes so they got to pay you know ha- have more more of a clothing allowance they've got to <clears throat> pay for childcare and of course they're living in their big mansion that they're barely living in because both of them are out of the house and if their kids are being um, uh, tended to outside of the home nobody's in the freaking house I mean on a given day. You, it, it would, it's unbelievable how many houses are completely vacant. That was never the case in the, in the past. I mean, houses were occupied. 
Now everybody's everybody's off to work, chasing the buck, living the dream. The labor movement has failed people. Why? Because I mean, look. The other thing that we attribute to the labor movement is uh, this idea of get, earning a vacation, vacation pay. You know, uh, one week a year. Uh, after so many years, it goes up to two weeks. Do you know most Americans don't take their vacations? No, they'd rather cash it out. They'd rather work through the vacation just for the money. Why? Because that's what they're obsessed with. They're just earning a paycheck. And of course, the United States is one of the few countries that doesn't have any paid, uh, you know, much in the way of paid maternity leave, no paid paternity, paternity leave. So, you know, the automatic, you know, letting men off the hook or, or, or denying men, depending on how you, how you want to look at it, the opportunity to, to play a significant role in the earliest child development of their of their newborns is taken away because they got to go out there chasing the chasing the paycheck. So, to me, if you're going to celebrate Labor Day, if you're going to if you're going to acknowledge Labor Day, you need to acknowledge the shortcomings of what has become labor in the United States. Again, you know they they want to they want to brag about how low the the unemployment rate is. Well, it doesn't matter how low the unemployment rate is. It doesn't matter if you've got people working and still living below the poverty line. And I'm not even going to get into the whole uh, immigrant labor. My, you know, I'm not just talking about migrant uh, labor, but uh, the idea that there are so many people that are that are working uh, that are undocumented workers, and 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 it's like like they're the they're the villains here, like they're the enemy or something like that. They're they're providing jobs. They're getting underpaid. And providing a task, and oftentimes providing that task with a much greater skill than anybody who is a, a quote-unquote citizen is willing to, to do. I mean, if you ever watch some of, the, of these uh, um, the, the immigrant workers in the in the United States, and look, and I'm not this isn't ethnically. I mean, because every every immigrant population that ever came to the United States, with the exception of the first ones, <laughs> um, really worked their asses off. And they and many of them still do, until they work themselves into a position where all of a sudden they feel like that that they are the privileged. It's amazing how many people could come from a country that would be uh, and and be oppressed as an immigrant, until they can they could especially if they're European immigrants they could somehow reach a point where they were no longer considered immigrants. Now they were considered you know part of the you know the the white privileged. So and and that includes Jewish people, that includes Irish people, Italian people, all these, and those are three groups of predominantly Europeans that were were absolutely persecuted until they could until they could arrive as white people, until they could they could assert themselves as as, as the privileged white. So, look, uh, as you celebrate Labor Day, I think it's uh, it's really and look, I'm not going to get into election politics and, 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 and all that other stuff. But this is something that we all need to play a greater role in is, is supporting each other. And you know, look, you're not going to fix the economic system or the labor system um, with your votes and prayers. You know, this requires us to do some things. And again, the, I always emphasize how important it is that we have a stronger sense for community and family. There was a time that if you started a business, and and again, I got to pardon the you know the male dominance part of this thing, but you'd put on that sign, you'd put your last name, and then you'd say and sons. Yeah, it, it was really skewed towards males. 
the part that I'm trying to emphasize is that you built a family business. Now, when you go to business school, the way you, you what you are taught is not to build a legacy business. In fact, they tell you, don't, don't become emotionally involved in your business. You know, you need to manage the passion for what you're doing. I mean, you, you, people are told, don't treat your business like a child. Don't treat it like it's your family. You need to keep it, you know, in such a way that you can, you can dump it at any time. And so what you, they teach business, you know, in, in business school. They teach you how to create a business, a product, a service that's, that has a, a global uh, market acceptance. You know, so the market is, is much broader. And that at some point, you can take that business public. So forget about owning the business and keeping it private and in your family. No. You know, do an initial public offering and, and sell some of it on, on, on the stock market. So you sell, maybe you offer 30% of your company up to, uh, you know, up to a, a public offering. And then you, so you use that money and you grow the business up and then you sell another piece of it. The whole idea is to grow out a business and, and then dump it. Sell it out. And you look, I, and it is called selling it out. I mean, and you know, when, when people hear, hear the expression sell out, they, oh, that's a negative thing. But, but look, this is what, this is what people are taught in business school. How to bring a, how to create a, a, a company based on a product or service that can have enough global appeal that you can grow the business out, sell pieces of it, you know, one, two, get two or three bites of the apple, as they say, and then sell it out completely and retire on what you sold. Now, the problem is, that that is the idea of creating business based on a global market, not on a local market. We no longer put a strong enough emphasis on local economies. In fact, when you go to business school, they don't teach you a whole lot about local economy. I mean, other than local economy being the um, the starting place towards growing out a business that you know that can have global value. And I think we have to put a different emphasis on that. And and you know, again, this some of this teaching starts in, the, in the, at the school level, high school level, grade school level. You know, one of the things I talked about when I talked about sustainable communities, I talked about the products and services we need we need to provide to each other. And I listed on that thing a babysitters club, not just not just childcare, you know, or um, and childcare in terms of you know pre K and that kind of stuff. But I mean, even organizing, you know, uh, you know. Um, young girls who aren't mothers yet, getting the and giving them some some uh, experience with, with children. I mean, it used to be the idea of. I mean, look, there's a whole book series for little young girls called Babysitters Club. But and and on the on the flip side, if we want to you know put it in, in into gender gender roles, look, when I was a kid, the first job I had was mowing a, mowing a lawn. You know, and we've got plenty of people who need assistance doing doing their outdoor chores. And we can put young our young men to doing those things, and and so you teach not only the responsibility and, and the whole idea of, of of being a community member and supporting a community, but you teach a certain responsibility with that. And I'm not saying, hey, look, I I never encourage my kids to go out and get quote unquote jobs while they're in high school. I said, no, while you're in high school, you're, you're going to work the rest of your life, and, and to support yourself. Right now, look, if you get a part time job and you and this is just for spending money, that that's fine. But don't get obsessed with it. Don't, at your age, begin become obsessed with, with making money. And don't let it take away from the things that you should be doing as a, as a 15, 16, 17-year-old. You should be enjoying your youth. 
enjoying your high school experience. You should be playing sports. You should be doing theater. You should be doing all these activities with your, uh, with your classmates, with your, with your peers. And the, the more I would see some of the, the local businesses, you know, fill up with, with, with school kids. And of course, why, why would a business hire school kids? Why? <laughs> so they don't have to pay them much of anything. So they can, you know, pay them, you know, at or below minimum wage. And again, this is again where 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 labor has been a failure, where the the power of organizing labor. So, gets back to Labor Day. But again, this is why it's so important that we understand that each of us has a, has a role as a teacher within our community, whether we're whether we, even if we don't have kids, because even if we don't have kids, there there are kids and there are other people that that were around. I, when I, and when I talk about being a teacher, I'm not just talking about teaching kids. You know, part of the reason I do this show is to be thought-provoking. Not just to teach. I'm, I'm not asking people to, to remember, you know, word for word what I said. Or to, to feel like um, I just spoon-fed them a bunch of BS that they've got to, you know, take as truth. But to be thought-provoking. And to have conversation. But I want to educate people. And, and more than me providing the education... Me providing the conversation that encourages people to look at their own experiences. Because this is the thing I always say. Beliefs are what you are taught or what you are told. Knowledge is what you experience. So when I talk about some of the things that I do here on, on the show, and and whether even as it relates to, to some of this stuff with teaching our kids, you have to go back to your own experiences. What was your what were your experiences in school? When did you come to a realization that some of what you were taught in school was it wasn't true? When did you realize that there were lies your teacher told you? Intentional or otherwise? Because we all get there. When I do events in New York City, whether it's showing a film or doing a speaking engagement or whatever else, I invariably get hit with the same response from some members of, of the audience. And, you know, this is in New York City, and, you know, it's a, it's a diverse group, and oftentimes they're very progressive. You know, these are well-educated people, people with PhDs. Say, I can't believe that at my age, I'm, I'm 79 years old, I've got a PhD in this and that, and I've got a master's degree in this and that, and I can't believe my education has betrayed me so. That, yeah, that, that's the response I get. And it's not because I'm smarter than them. It's just that I'm talking about stuff they never heard before. And they can't believe in their educational experience, in their pursuit of education, that some of the things that I'm talking about on my shows and at these events could be something they've never heard of. It's amazing how many people never knew what a residential school was. When I get into debates over, over things like the mascot issue, and I don't think enough of us do this, but I always go back to, I said, when your school adopted that mascot, when your school decided to call themselves Redskins in the... 19 in 1920 or 1950 or whenever it was we still children that were being ripped from their homes being dragged sometimes thousands of miles away from their homes and having the native beaten out of them in a policy called kill the indian save the man and kill the indian they did they didn't just kill the notion of indian they 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 children lost these these schools had graveyards so when I when I have this conversation with white people, say, "Oh, you! How dare you take this away from me?" And they literally say that. 
Oh, I've been a redskin my whole life, you know, since you know, uh, since I started school. No, you haven't been. But that's what they're saying. And I, and and a bunch of outsiders want to come in and take it away from me. No, one thing. What you're calling outsiders are the native people that you're referencing with your racial slur. And again, what you are trying to own is something that native kids were being deprived to the to the point of being beaten. Physically abused, psychologically abused, even sexually abused. Even sterilization went along with these schools. Young women that were, you know, especially the what they call the full bloods. Well, you know, like if, if they're light skinned, it means all right, they're, they're already part part of the way towards assimilation. That, that, that was the view they had. The, the 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 young girls that they keyed in on were the ones that were where there was no uh, no white blood in them. Well, let's not let, let, let's not that, let them reproduce. These are the kinds of things. So again, I I experience this all the time, whether I, I speak locally around here, even locally around here. Even though there's a, a, a substantial native population, several different native communities around here. I still get the same response. I can't believe that my my education betrayed me in such a way that I never heard of this. I mean, the first thing is is a little bit of denial, as I said earlier. But then when you hear something and you say, well, what do you mean Abraham Lincoln signed the execution order for the largest execution in the history of the United States court system? What do you mean? Look it up. Mankato. Dakota 38. Look it up. So this is again that's why that's why it's important that we educate our kids I mean our kids shouldn't be indoctrinated to believe that George Washington was this hero he was a guy who ordered the the destruction of our communities he wanted to instill terror in our people that's George Washington Jefferson he was the one who began this this notion of uh, removing us from our territories the removal act everybody associated with Jackson I mean, of course that guy was a jerk but this was Jefferson's brainchild. Lincoln, largest mass execution in the history of the United States. And we can go to Teddy Roosevelt and we can go to, you know, and, and on and on and on, all the way up through. And when we talk about things like, how is it the Senecas made such a bad deal in the throughway, you know, 50, 60 years ago? Well, you don't understand the circumstance that, that Native people, especially here, were living in. Not just the extreme poverty. But being constantly threatened with, we're, we're going to eliminate you. We're going to terminate you as a tribe is what they were threatened. So you better cooperate with us or you'll cease to exist. And and we bought into the idea that they actually had the power to do that. Because they did. They, they tried to do it with many people. And, and that's why we have a bunch of Native, Native peoples who are, quote unquote, not federally recognized. How did they, how did they exist if they, were, if they were never acknowledged? This is what we need to teach. So... Back to school, folks. Back to school for our kids and back to school for us. We have to be the teachers. That's my program for tonight. So thanks for listening, and uh, we'll, we'll see you back here on Tuesday. Yahweh.